Spirit the last few weeks and how when Jesus came and died on the cross, he didn't just do that for us to be able to have salvation, for us to have salvation when he died and, and live hell on earth until, until we die and go to heaven. He did that so that way we would be able to have a relationship with the Father and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we've been talking about, like, well, what is, what is the point of having God's spirit or God's presence with you? And we've been looking at all the different scriptures and the different ways that God is with us. And tonight, I thought that it would be great if we read through a classic passage that we probably all traditionally have been raised with and have heard. I've been in funeral services that I've led where I just start the first verse and everybody says it out loud with me all along, and that is Psalms 23. Once I start going, you'll, you're going to recognize it. Psalms 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. Now, we're all thinking New King James in our head. I wish I had thought of that and grabbed my other Bible. But most of us have heard that traditionally, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? He leads me, and he does all these things. So let's, we're reading it in the NIV, but that's why it might sound a little bit different, in case you're wondering. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides, I want to say still waters, quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now this passage, whether we've realized it or not, is talking about God's presence being with us. In all things. And when we really break this down and look at it, it's interesting to see that he is with us in our darkest valley, right? He is with us in many, many different ways. So let's start at the beginning and look at this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Okay, well, some of us are probably thinking of the movie Babe and the English guy that had the little pig that would run around after the sheep, and he was a shepherd. Anybody ever seen that movie? Am I, I'm the only one. Okay, well, what does that mean to be a shepherd? We, we don't necessarily get it. You know, that was totally a different time and a different era. If God is my shepherd, why do I lack nothing? Right? Because doesn't the Bible say that God helps those who help themselves? Shouldn't I be providing everything I need? Shouldn't I have this all figured out? Am I not the master of my domain? Yeah, yeah no. That's not, that's not how it works. That is not true. Satan has deceived us. The Bible does not say God helps those who help themselves. The Bible says he is our shepherd and we lack nothing. The Bible says ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. The Bible says when you are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. It doesn't say, go figure it out. The Bible is very clear. 
Why is it that if he is my shepherd, I lack nothing? And we have to submit to that. Now, the sheep, they have no choice. They get herded along, and they can't escape. But we, as, as humans, we have to decide to let him shepherd us. Now, a shepherd totally, 100% was responsible for those sheep. Those sheep could not go and make shelter. Those sheep could not go and scout out and come back for the rest of the flock and go find water. They're not, you know, they're not wolves. They're not like a pack of wolves where, where they know how to take care of themselves. Sheep are totally dependent on human shepherds. If one gets away from the flock, first of all, it's going to get eaten. But every once in a while, you know, there's an area where there's no predators and they find them like years later. They can't even see. Their, their wool has just grown so thick over them. It's so heavy that they can barely, barely walk. I've watched those videos where they'll shear. One of, one of them was called Shrek because, you know, he was wet a lot where he was and the, the light would go and it, all, his, all his wool turned into algae. So he's big and green, and he's kind of been out in the swamp, you know, and they pulled him out. And I, I want to say they took like 70 pounds off this poor sheep. And we, as humans, right, we think, well, I can go figure it out. Well, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. You all could have ridden a horse and buggy to get here. You could. But you didn't. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? You took some sort of vehicle, some sort of gas-powered or electric-powered vehicle, and came here. Now, we can try to be like Shrek, and we can carry the weight of the burden of everything that grows on us, because that's just part of living life. And it's going to grow heavier and heavier and heavier. Or we can choose to let him be our shepherd. Now, the shepherd's responsibility, number one, was to keep them safe, right? To keep the predators away. Number two, it was to bring them to fresh water and to bring them to fresh food. Now, this is acknowledging some things that we need. We need protection. There is an enemy out there who wants to kill, steal, destroy us. That, that is number one. And it is not our job to fight them off. A sheep does not go out there and fight off the wolf. A sheep relies on the shepherd to do that. I love, you know, when you, when you watch some of these different things and you hear about these cattle dogs that go out there and they'll try to fight off the things. There was one that had fought off, like, I don't know, three or four coyotes or wolves or whatever in, in their area, and he got kind of messed up and he kind of had run off and he laid down somewhere to heal. But they thought initially that he had died. And he came back, and there was a big story about it. This was, I don't know, probably six months ago. It was just kind of cool. And I think about our shepherd, right? Jesus is our shepherd. But I look at kind of like the angels as kind of like those, those cattle dogs that are out there kind of helping, you know? The shepherd's like, hey, and he does some sort of whistle, you know, and the dogs kind of move them over this way. And, and, oh, a wolf is coming, right? And the dogs go running off barking and chase the wolf away. And the Bible says that the angels, holy angels, are like ministering to, you know, ministering angels for the believer. That's us. And it, the Bible also says that there is a battle out there. There's a spiritual battle, but it is not our job to fight it. They fight it. 
And so that's really cool. So when we submit ourselves and say, okay, Lord, you be my shepherd, you protect me, take care of those spiritual battles, you feed me, you make sure I have the water, right? The Bible tells us so much about how that living water is down in us and comes back up. That's the Holy Spirit presence. The food we eat, we see that in Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus goes out and he fasts for 40 days and he has not eaten, he has not had anything, and Satan comes and tempts him. And the first thing he says to Jesus is, you can turn that rock, that stone, into bread. And Jesus says, man cannot live by bread alone, but out of every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What is he saying? He's saying, God's word is my food. Now, most of us, you know, we can just grab a Bible and read it. Some of us don't necessarily have the gift of teaching or the gift of understanding every single thing we read. So what do we do? We come to a weekly service, right? Nowadays, we can, we can go online and watch a video. We can listen to a podcast. We can go on YouTube if you're, there's something specific you're looking for. What are we doing? We're eating. We're saying, somebody gave me a bunch of turnips, and I don't know how to make it taste good, right? So I'm going to go to somebody who's a master chef and say, what do you do with turnips? And all of a sudden, you get some sort of special mash, and you put it in your mouth, and you're like, oh, my gosh. That's so good. Why? Because they added the butter and the garlic and whatever they would do. So we know that when we go to Jesus as our shepherd, that he provides food. And how he does that, you know, in this day and age is by teachers and many different forms that you can hear God's word from and feed on that. See, our soul gets hungry. Our spirit gets hungry. Y'all know what your body does when it gets hungry. I've been places before where my stomach starts to churn. I'll be like, oh, sorry. I haven't had lunch yet. Right? Not only does it tell everybody around me I'm hungry, I can feel it. And what do I do? I go eat some food. You know, and I don't say, well, I went to a buffet two weeks ago. I should have had enough calories to last till now. Uh-uh. I don't know about you, but I eat every day. Unless I'm fasting. I did talk about fasting last week, so I better throw that in there. If I'm not fasting, I eat every day. And you know what? I eat more than once. But our spirit gets hungry. Eh, I'm busy. I don't have time to do whatever. Eh, my soul, right, doesn't, hasn't been made any connections. It's starving for some sort of human connection or spiritual connection. Eh, I'm busy. I don't have time to deal with that. I'll be fine. And day after day we go by and it comes out, the hunger pains of our soul and our spirit come out in many different ways. It can be depression. It can be anger. It can be uh, lots of different ways. And we don't recognize those signs. We don't see and say, okay, Lord, I need something and you're my shepherd. Come help me figure it out. No, we try to do it, right, because God helps those who help themselves. No. He does not. Anybody's listening to the audio and cannot see me. I'm doing thumbs down. That's wrong. When I start having issues, I start praying like, Lord, what is wrong? What do I need? What am I lacking? What am I getting too much of that's making me sick? And so when we say, okay, Lord, you be my shepherd. You be my shepherd. You protect me. You guide me. The shepherd guides the sheep. They don't know where to go. And we cannot forget the one most important thing. The shepherd shears the sheep. 
the shepherd goes in there and takes off all that wool. Now, the shepherd doesn't shame the sheep for giving him work. The shepherd doesn't say, now look at you. You grew wool all over your body the last six months, and now i got to take ten minutes out of my day to shear you. How dare you do that? No, why does the shepherd not do that? Because this is natural and it is normal and every single sheep grows wool. But that wool becomes a burden. Now isn't it interesting, when the winter time comes, we like a little wool. We like a little warmth. We like a little something on us. And in life, you know, stuff kind of accumulates. And sometimes at first it feels good, right? Well, you know, I'm taking a vacation. I'm taking a break from all that stuff. And at first, that feels good. But then when we get back from vacation, if we don't get back into our regular routines, all of a sudden, you know, a week, two weeks go by, and something gets piled up, and we're like, darn it, right? i got to get back into my routine of cleaning this up or doing whatever. So in our lives, we're not saying that the weight that comes on us is always bad, right? Sometimes maybe, you know, it's comfort food, and it's this, and we're going through something stressful, and all of a sudden, it becomes a burden. That's normal. That's life. It's what you do with the burden. You go to your shepherd and let him shear you. You let him get you all that way off, and you get back to the basics of who you are. So we see here in this first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Now, verse 2 here, let's just focus on that. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I'm going to keep wanting to say still waters. but Now, why would a shepherd make the sheep do that? Let's think about that, right? So you've got a human shepherd out here with a bunch of real-life sheep. They're, they got wool all over them. And all of a sudden, he comes to a place where there's fresh water, there's green grass. They've probably been traveling to get here. They pro- it didn't say, we live here, and he makes me lie down all the time. No. We get there. That was our goal. He was trying to get you to this place. Now you've got water. You've got grass to eat, and you've got a place to rest, and he makes you rest. Why would he do that? Because he doesn't want you to leave this place. This was the whole goal. He wants you to come here. And so he's been guiding and driving you to this place. And, you know, the human sheep looks around, takes a few pictures, and pulls out the map and says, where are we going next? Haven't you ever done that? Have you ever been on vacation, and you got like five things you need to do in one day, and you get to the first one, and you look around, oh, yeah, that's great, now I'll do your next thing. You don't get a chance to really stop and reflect and rest and enjoy where you just traveled and traveled to get to. See, the shepherd has to make them do it because it's not natural to do that. It's natural for an animal to go wander off. It's natural for us humans to get distracted. And when we say to God, okay, you are my shepherd, that means when he gets us to a place of peace, 
a place where we can be fed, a place where we can rest, where we can have that water refresh us, where it's still. We need to just stay in that. When he says, makes us lie down, right? When he's there, he has us stay there. We need to accept that and stay in that place. So many times I think that it's like, ooh, that one's shiny, that one's sparkly, ooh, that's the newest thing. We, we stop what we had been doing and we go after that. And sometimes what we need to do is be sensitive to that Holy Spirit and say, where does God want me to be at rest? He has brought me here. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lay down and rest. I've been on my feet. I had this journey here. He makes me lie down. But Lord, I need to go do this, this, and this. I, I literally, at one point this week, looked at my to-do list, and it was really, really long. And I was like, all right, Lord, what should I do next? And he's like, take a nap. I'm like, I don't know. No, no, no. I've got about an hour before I have to be at the next thing. And should I do this, 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 or this? And he's like, take a nap. Now, why would God want me to take a nap? Because if we don't rest, and of course, we don't rest every day, all day, all the time. But if we don't take time to rest, when he leads us to that place of rest, our soul and our spirit get worn down, just like our body gets worn down. We need to take time to rest. Now, in, in you know the Christian world, the one group of people that typically have the most issue with this, and it's not that their physical body is having problems, it's their soul and their spirit, and that's pastors. That's why they, they literally have a name for forced rest. They call it a sabbatical. They'll, they'll you know, some of the different denominations in particular, they'll, they'll make them do a certain sabbatical time every so many years or so many months. And what are they saying? They're saying, we know what you're going to do. You're not going to take care of yourself. You're going to be so concerned with everybody else and all these other things that you're not going to rest, and so we're going to make you lie down in green pastures. And by calling it that and letting everybody know, they all know, I can't call him. He's on sabbatical. I need to call this person over here. Why? Because they're making sure that they have time to rest. What's interesting with verse 3 is right after he says, he makes me lie down on green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, it says, he refreshes my soul. Your soul gets refreshed when you take time to rest. Isn't that interesting? What we forget when we read that is that, what is he saying? Your soul needs to be refreshed. Why do you have to refresh something? Because it become unfresh, right? Because it's become worn out. It's become old. You need to refresh something. You need to make it fresh again. Our soul gets weathered down and broken down. Now, we don't, we don't look at our soul. We don't you know, take it out, look at it in the mirror, and really understand what our soul is. But man, we know when we're tired. And I'm not talking about physically. We know when we feel depressed or when we feel anxious or when we feel out of control or when we feel like we don't even know what to do. Sometimes you call it like a crushed spirit. Like, oh, I don't know, they just, you know, their spirit is crushed over this. They're brokenhearted, right? Maybe you go through a relationship and you say, oh, they're just heartbroken. What, is, what are we talking about, right? Our 
heart isn't physically broken, but it's our soul inside. It needs to be refreshed. And the shepherd refreshes your soul. It goes on in verse 3. It says, he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. That's telling us that there's wrong paths out there. But he wants to guide us down the right ones. Now, we might, you know, say, I want to go that way. This is my goal in life. I want to get there. And we all know that there's different ways to get to the same place. If I were to say to all of you right now, let's all go to the mall and let's go watch a movie I'm buying. And we all hopped in our vehicles. From here to the mall, there's probably five different ways you can get there. First of all, there's four different bridges you can take to get on that side of town, right? And you can go this way and all the way down to Euclid and up and around to Wilder. You could go down there, what, to 15, Tuscola, Trumbull, whatever it's called. They all change names, you know, a million times. And take that bridge, you know, over there by S.C. Johnson. That's what I call that. That's the S.C. Johnson Bridge, right? Go down this bridge over here. This. What am I saying? You can go and all reach the same place, but you all took a different path. Now, some of them might be better for you in your situation than the others. And we don't know that. I mean, wow, nowadays we can pull out our GPS, right, and see if there's any bridges shut down. But our paths in life, God has the GPS. And he's the one that says, you know, hey, go down this one. Now, how, right, you're probably thinking like, well, Mary, I don't hear from God the way you do. I had somebody say that Wednesday night. I was at an event. I was talking about hearing from God. And the person next to me says, well, I don't hear from God the way you do. And I, it wasn't a time to, to preach, to minister, to say a word. I just smiled at her. But God talks to me just the same way as he wants to talk to each and every single one of you. I'm not special. I'm just a child of God. I am a sinner. I make mistakes. I do things that God does not like. And I know he's right there with me. He's an accomplice because he saw me do it. Darn it, right? But he is there and he still is talking to me, and I'm still hearing him. And he might be saying, Mary, really? Come on. But he wants to talk to you the same way. We just haven't always learned how to listen. We haven't been sensitive enough. Or maybe we haven't invited him to say a word. Maybe he's still sitting there waiting for us to invite him to speak to us. He wants to guide you on that right path. Even though I walk through the darkest valley... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I've had people talk about this and say that his rod and his staff is used for correction, and it comforts you even though it corrects you. And, okay, that's their interpretation of it. But the shepherd did not carry around a staff and a rod to beat the sheep. I'm sorry, he didn't. He carried that to beat the wolves off. He carried that to have a presence for the enemy to leave. And when I'm in my darkest valley and I am like so depressed I can't get out of bed or I am so angry if I open my mouth right now I'm going to say the wrong thing, that is when the enemy is trying to attack me the most. That is when the enemy is whispering in my ear and saying, you might as well just end it. 
Or that's when the enemy is whispering in our ears to say, just say this. Just be truthful and say this, this, and that, right? Trying to get us to say something that is going to hurt the people around us or whatever your situation might be. And I am not comforted because he's going to hit me upside the head and say, why are you dealing with this? Why don't you just get out of bed? Or why are you angry right now? No. I am comforted because he's going to use that rod and that staff and he's going to beat off the enemy that is going to try to beat me down even more. He is a shepherd is there to protect the sheep. Now, if there is a little lamb and he's about to fall in the river, is he going to use that rod to pull him away from the fast current? Absolutely. It doesn't mean that there's not times when I'm about to do something and I hear a really loud shout in my ear saying, don't do that. That's a bad idea. But when I am in my darkest valley, I am comforted because I know that he is going to be able to fight off the enemy. And don't tell me that the enemy doesn't want to kick you when you're down. Because he wants to kick you when you're down. He wants to come after you and stomp on your head. He wants to make you feel worse than you already feel. That is the time when you need to be encouraged. That is the time when you need to be protected. That is the time, you know, I love in the Bible where it says, go to the elders of your church so that they may, you know, anoint you with oil and pray for you when you're sick. I love how it says, you know, confess your sins one to another. Why in the world would I want to confess my sins one to another? When I'm real and I'm transparent with the people around me, Satan can't hold that over my head anymore. I don't have to walk into a room and wonder, do you all know that sometimes I get angry? No, I can get up here and say, hey, sometimes I get angry. And now I don't have to be guilty or feel shame when you see me in the parking lot yelling at one of my kids and think, oh, my gosh, the minister just yelled at her kid. You can say, oh, yep, that, she said she struggles with anger. I better say a prayer. I hope that kid makes it home all right. Oh, boy, is he going to lose his cell phone again? I don't know. Why does God want us to be comforted by that? Because when we know big brothers right behind us with a big old stick, we can face the bully. I don't know about you, but if I know that Todd's beside me and I got to go talk to somebody, I'm going to say something, I'm going to be honest and be blunt and do whatever, and I know they're not going to give me a hard time if my husband's right next to me. You just act different when you know that you've got a protector right next to you. So when I'm down and out, and I feel like this, this is going to just be horrible, and I know, you know what, God's with me. And I start getting tempted to do X, Y, and Z, I can say, Satan, go to hell. You leave me alone. And I don't have to worry that some exorcist moment and some demon's going to start shaking the light in my bedroom. Because I just told him to leave. Why? Because God is there with me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. And he's got his rod and his staff. And that comforts me. Because the enemy can go to hell. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overfloweth. All right, now this one's interesting. Why in the world are you preparing a table for me 
before my enemies. Make the enemies go away, God. I want to go through life with no troubles. I want to go through life with nobody fighting against me. I want to go through life with no temptations. Can't you make that happen? See, the reality is we live here on earth and we have free will. And there are going to be situations that are going to happen. But God can prepare blessings for you in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your enemies trying to attack you. I love how this is there, and it says that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What is God trying to tell us here? In life, you're going to have enemies, and they're going to be right there in your presence. They're going to be with you. They might be with you at work. They might be with you in your bedroom and your head and your thoughts. They might be with you in your neighborhood and your family. Your enemies are there. What is an enemy? It's something that's against you. Now, I'm not saying your mother-in-law is your enemy. Don't be going home and saying, did you see? She said he's our enemy. This is what we should do, right? Now, there might be moments when you feel like we've got differing opinions. I would remind you, what does the Lord say? Right? Obey your parents and you shall have a long life. Now, I'm not saying to paint your house purple if that's what she's saying to do. But there's always peace. You can always have peace. You can always pray. You can always give that to God. What am I saying, though? In life, you will have enemies. In life, there will be conflict. In life, there will be something or someone against you. And God's job is not to make it go away. God's job is to prepare a table for you in the midst, in the presence of those enemies. We live in fallen world. You're going to have something and somebody against you. And guess what? God's going to protect you from the evil. That's already been established. We're not talking about evil coming against you. We're talking about conflict and enemies against you. And what is God going to do? He's going to prepare a table for you in the presence of that. In the midst of that. Don't keep saying what you're saying. Because some of you are saying, well, when this is done, then I will. When this happens, then I will. That might not ever happen. Ask God to prepare your table today. Ask God to give you the blessings today. God can bless you before you've finished whatever. Before this or that happens. God can bless you. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Talk about blessings. You got so much, you can just let it overflow. Think about that. Back in that day and time, you'd want to put just enough, right, in your cup. You didn't want to waste it. But man, I got so much, I can let it overflow. I, the whole anointing somebody with oil... You know, when we talk about anointing or being anointed, we see that a lot, in, especially in the Old Testament, and we hear about, you know, the Holy Spirit anointing someone in the New Testament. What was the whole point of that? See, God's power and presence was represented in that oil. They would pour oil over somebody, let's say they were anointing them to be the new prophet or anointing them to be the king. They would take the oil and it would start at the top of their head and they would pour enough that the oil came down, it said they'd come down their beard and it would saturate their clothes and it would go all the way down and drip onto their feet. 
The oil was saturating them. But see, that represented God's power. We don't want just power in our head. We don't want to just know what to do. I want to have power in my mouth. I want to be able to say the right things. I want to be able to have the power in my body, my hands, all the way down to my feet. I want God's power with me wherever I go. So he wants us blessed, right? Here, God, I'm going to prepare you a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God's preparing this table right before me. I don't have to go seeking for it. It's right before me. It's in the presence of those who are against me. And he's going to anoint me with his power. And I'm going to have so much, my cup is overflowing. Yeah, I think I want him to be my shepherd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love this because it doesn't say, surely I will be good all the days of my life. It doesn't say that. Because surely I will not be good all the days of my life. Sorry, want to burst your bubble now? Whatever halo you thought was around my head, let's just take it off. Surely I will not be good all the days of my life. Surely I will not deserve your goodness all the days of my life. Surely I will make mistakes, but yet I will still call on you. Surely I will have enemies, and you will prepare a table before me, and my cup will overflow. Surely I will walk through the darkest valley, and you will protect me from evil. Your rod and your staff will comfort me. Surely you will have to make me lie down in green pastures because I'm going to get distracted and want to go a different way. Surely I will. But surely your goodness and your love will follow me. Did you hear that? His goodness and his love follow us. What does that mean? If I go down the wrong path, his goodness and his love still follow me. It doesn't say, follow my goodness, Mary. Follow my love. And if you go down the wrong path, you're all on your own. It says, his goodness and his love will follow me. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all of the days of my life. Not all of the days that I obey you and I stay on the straight and narrow path. It says, all of my days, your goodness and your love will follow me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, that one always gets people. They say, well, but Mary, I stopped going to church. Or, but Mary, I'm not in church all the time. The house of the Lord in this instance right here is not talking about a physical building. The children of Israel were, were scattered over hundreds and hundreds of miles. Maybe once every three years they would go to where the temple was. And at this time when David is writing this, there's just a tent. And the average person couldn't even go in it. You had to be a Levite and you have to, had to be a priest. And there was different things that, where you could even go in the Holy of Holies where God's presence is. So what is he talking about? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will be a believer. I will know of his ways. 
I will call on the name of Jesus. Now we're looking at it from a Christian point of view. No matter where I am, no matter what situation I am in. And sometimes I'll forget. And sometimes I'll need a memorial stone. Sometimes I'll need a reminder. It is because he is so good to us. It is because he has blessed us that we want to dwell with him. That's the last verse. It's not the first. It doesn't say, because you dwell in the house of the Lord always, I will do this. No. He's already made his promises. He's already said what he's going to do. And because of that, we are going to want to dwell with him. Because he is our shepherd. And he provides for us. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much that we can take time to understand what this passage means and apply it to our lives. Your goodness and your love follow me no matter where I go, and I know that they follow all of those that are here. Help them, Father God, be comforted in the fact that you are with them. You can guide them, you can protect them, and they just need to receive it. I pray that they will ask you to be their shepherd, that they will ask for you to talk to them loud enough that they can hear it, and that they will receive the blessings that you have for them. Father God, Satan wants to give us worry and fear, and we are asking you to give us your peace and to give us your comfort, knowing that you are protecting us and guiding us. Help us to take the time to receive that goodness and to let ourselves rest when we need to rest and enjoy the table that's set before us, even in the midst of struggle and enemies coming against us. We ask for your blessings. We ask for your anointing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful evening. There's sign-ups in the back for Good Friday or Easter if you'd like to help. And the Blessing Shop is open.